0: Hello and welcome everyone. Today, we are joined by Alan Carter, President and CEO of Cabral Gold. We've got Kevin Bullock, President and CEO of Anaconda Mining and also Danny Callow, President and CEO of African Gold Group. These are three guys that I uh, enjoy talking to and listening to um, and today we're gonna try and make sense of what's going on in the market. Some extreme uh, reactions, uh, certainly with, with, with gold, copper, nickel, everywhere. Um, and um, before we do though, guys, Can you just each introduce yourself? I'm going to start with you, Kevin, and then maybe Alan, and then Danny.
1: Uh, Thanks very much, Matt. Kevin Bullock. I'm President and CEO of Anaconda Mining. I'm a mining engineer. Started out as an underground miner and uh, worked my way up to getting a degree and then working in operations. I've been a CEO for the last 25 years. And Anaconda is busy in Eastern Canada, in Newfoundland, and Nova Scotia with its development project being uh, the largest Gold deposit in the province of Nova Scotia.
2: Yeah, thanks Matt. Uh, my name's Alan Carter. I'm the president and CEO of uh, Cabral Gold. We have an advanced exploration project in Brazil. We currently have two gold deposits, which are about five kilometers apart. You have five rigs turning. We've made five new discoveries in the last 18 months. Uh, so, uh, so we're very busy and a lot of drill news coming over the next few months. Thanks. And just to, to, to add another continent to the
3: mix. My name is Danny Keller. I'm the president and CEO of African Gold Group, TSXV listed. And We're focused in uh, West Africa, in Mali. Uh, we have a very exciting project on the go. We've spent the last 2 years um, drilling and developing it to a definitive feasibility study level and we're really in the, in the position now to be able to develop, construct and build this. And Like uh, Kevin, I'm a mining engineer by background and um, worked my way up through underground mining to running mines for, for a number of diversified miners.
0: Guys, I, I thank you very much for joining us. I hadn't I, I realised how clever we were. We've got North America, South America, and, and Africa uh, all represented today. Um, well, well done, the editing team for that one. Um, guys, the, the Gold has just gone over 2,000 uh, today, hit 2050 bucks uh, today. Is this the beginning? Is it Gold 3000 finally? Start with you, Kevin.
1: Well, I always like to think that we need to make our projects work at various prices of gold. Um, We need to show the the upside to people, but we also need to show the robustness of any project. So, the way we went through our feasibility is with that in mind. We were we were quite conservative. We have a definitive feasibility now for 100,000 ounces a year for 11 years from our open pit in uh, in Nova Scotia, which has total resources of 3.1 million ounces, and. Uh, it really is uh, when built a license to print money at these types of values or higher values of gold. Uh, but but uh, reality is it's very very robust even at thirteen hundred dollar U S gold. So uh, the robustness of the project is important to us. Um, the uh, infrastructure that's around it and uh, the the type of area that it's in for ease of permitting and. Uh, and uh, for being able to work in a safe environment. So, yes, I think gold's gonna be up and hit some peaks uh, here and there, but over time, uh, we have to make our project work at various prices.
0: You do, but let me just answer Just I want to want to get into the more kind of macro component here, um, Kevin, if you don't mind. So it's broken through two thousand. There, there are lots. I, I suspect we'll see the 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 same people that kind of came out last time it got to two thousand or near near two thousand get a little bit excited. We'll see those crazy headlines again. Um, and I'm, what I'm trying to understand is. Our, how real are statements like Gold 3000? I know they don't need to be there because you're making lots of money at these sorts of levels, but the, the geopolitical state of the market is, is very, very interesting, exacerbated by what's going on obviously with, in Ukraine with the, with the Russian invasion. Gold did not react all of last year. 2021, the expectation was Gold would move. It didn't. Uh, why now?
1: Well, gold's a safety net, gold's a hedge against inflation, gold is a, is, a, is a form of currency. Uh, I truly believe and always will be and always has been. And when the world is in such peril like it is now following COVID and, and having uh, not only the war in, in Ukraine, but wars around the world, the uh, tensions building up, um, what happens is you go to a safe haven and uh, you know, there's various, various safe havens out there and, and one of them is definitely gold that only has a small investment community. So a little bit of an increase in that community taking advantage of of, of securing their wealth with physical Gold really makes a difference in the price. So I would say that I wouldn't be surprised if Gold hit 3000 at some point, but I don't see it staying there. Um, I see over time, you know, unless, unless costs, the escalation in costs that we have stay escalated, what I'm hoping for is a rollover at some point in the future, by the time we build our project that the Gold price has, has, uh, has moved to a point that's that's quite attractive, like even now, uh, but the actual costs have rolled over because quite honestly, if, if we have 25% inflation like we're seeing in some feasibilities following uh, pre and PEAs, if that continues year over year, all the mines are going to close down unless the Gold price stays up. So Something has to happen. Either Gold has to come back a bit uh, with costs or it has to keep moving up with costs. So, you know, that's I, I can see some crazy numbers, but I can't see them being sustained for, for long periods of time. I, I think overall Gold's going to continue uh, to rise in a linear regression rise from, from years ago, but um, you know, there will be peaks and troughs and it will be highly volatile in this environment.
0: Alan, you'd have a spe- uh, spectacular year in 2020, up 10 times. 2021, lines. We talked. We had discussions about people being distracted by Bitcoin, by cryptocurrency, um, by tech. They just weren't coming into gold in the way that the entire market expected them to. Did things just get a little bit more real?
2: Um, yeah, I think I think they did, Matt. I mean, um, look, <laughs> we're in a completely different environment now. This isn't just an isolated geopolitical crisis. This is going to impact everybody on this planet. Why? Because both Russia and Ukraine are such massive producers of everything we use. Everything is going up, right? Petrol in your car, the price of a bottle of wine, the cost of a pint of milk. I mean, everything is going up. Inflation, and as a result, inflation is going to move up big time, commodities are all going to be in short supply supply chains are going to get under under pressure the bicycle you wanted to order that had a a four-week lead time is now going to take six months if you're lucky everything's going to change and this thing is going to be protracted this is going to go on for months and years so strap in so i think i disagree somewhat with kevin i think yes 3,000 Gold is quite achievable by the end of the year. Maybe it's not 3,000, but it's going up and it's going to continue going up here for medium term, in my view.
0: That's Okay, okay Danny, um, let's get you into the conversation, and then we can, so we can riff off of each other. Danny, is, has there been a reaction yet with the juniors? You know, you're, you're, you know, you're one of those smaller members of the, the team here in terms of market cap. Uh, what's your expectation of what this is going to do for you?
3: Yeah, I don't think we've seen any real reaction <clears throat> for us that are not in the production side because clearly we're not making any any profits or, or margins. Um, <clears throat> I think we will see some um, if we see a sustainable um, increase in gold, which I think will happen. I don't think it's going to stay around 2000. I think it's going to move up. But I think just exactly what Kevin and Alan have said, the, the costs are going crazy here. I mean, before this invasion, we were talking about double digit inflation. I don't know what that's going to be when, when, when it works itself out of this. But, you know, if you're talking 130 oil now, and probably if some of the sanctions that are happening happen, then you're talking $200 oil, that has a knock on effect across every single operation. And, and I think, you know, we, we saw it in, in from 2021, uh, sorry, 2020 to 2021, we delivered two different definitive studies, very similar, <clears throat> just with bigger resources, and we saw about a twelve to fifteen percent real increase in all in sustaining cost in a year, and that was mainly driven by by oil it was driven by inflation, it was driven by steel prices um, and I think that we haven't seen anything yet so I, I think I, I do agree with Kevin in the sense that it's all well and good having two and a half three thousand um, gold, but if the costs are going up at, a, at a, an exponential rate, then you're still going to see a lot of panic in this industry where where you're not going to see the margins that everybody thinks you're going to see it to an R three thousand gold. Um, so I'm 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 a much bigger proponent of a much more um, sustainable improvement in in the fundamentals of gold, and that's with central bank buying again and 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 a lot more stability in the market. I think that will give investors hope because remember, I mean, I'm not sure um, where, where Kevin and Alan are in in the progress of, but it sounds like we're all in the similar boat where we haven't started construction yet. You've got eighteen months, two years before you start getting gold out. So we need a, we need a, we need a sort of a, a sense of stability to know that when you put money into this company, we're going to deliver gold at very good margins. And and when it's as fluctuating as wildly as it is now, um, and you know we talked about it earlier, when you've got diversified miners, one of the big three or four mines fluctuating at six to eight percent over the course of a day, up and down, it just means that there's chaos in these markets. That doesn't necessarily um really sort of translate down well for a junior minor, in my
0: opinion. I, I have to say I tend to agree with you, um, Danny, on that one. What we saw in 2020 were marginal projects getting financed. Money was being thrown around on perhaps projects which, you know, didn't have strong fundamentals or quite frankly, even a good asset, but the money flowed. And that's fine. There's momentum investing, that's fine. Um there's fundamental investing, in my mind, that's that's better. Um, do you in Cause, and price solves a lot of problems sometimes too. So the, as Gold uh, appreciates, do you think we'll see a repeat of what we saw in 2020, Kevin?
1: Uh, yeah, I think that um, you know, in a lot of cases when Gold is booming uh, like it is and is about to even more, um, I think what you'll see is some projects get funded that shouldn't be funded. Um, I mean, I haven't done an evaluation of projects, so, uh, but... Um, You know, with our own, we're the highest grade undeveloped uh, open pit resource on the east coast of Canada. We're the largest gold mine, gold project in uh, Nova Scotia. As a matter of fact, we announced that we are the largest private investment in the province. Um, um, which, was, which was quite a surprise to me. So, you know, we have approximately 18 months to 2 years to finally finalize getting all of our permits required and then a 2-year build. So we're not producing for 4 years. What's going to happen in those 4 years? I have no idea. However, if you look at a Gold chart, you have uh, peaks and troughs and, and, and an inclining uh, curve over time. And what we want to do is, is, we're looking at our business as a business, not as a gold mine producing gold. We want to produce cash flow. and We want to produce margin. So there's always a trade-off between cost and, and revenue, and that, and that sometimes lags by a year or two. In other words, if you do a feasibility today and you build two years from now, and things don't change, your cost is going to be up 30%, 40%. Um, but there's got to be a rollover at some point where you do a feasibility at a high point. And then when you build it, people say, wow, you were really good. You, you, you did it for 5% cheaper than you said you would. Well, that's because the Gold price is also coming down and the margins are, are basically staying the same. So what we like to do is, is talk about grade because uh, Gold and, and the price of producing it kind of flow maybe a couple of years apart at most, but, but flow kind of together. And you know, if we've got one of the highest grade and, and, and a great margin, at uh, these prices and at lower prices and at higher prices. That's what we're interested in because we're not mining for a year or two. We're mining for 18 years.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think that's important. So and it's, it's kind of helpful for um, investors to kind of, China. one, have an honest conversation with themselves and say, what type of of investor am I? You know, they they may want to be sort of in control and be based on fundamentals, which is something you know we we advocate to give a, a little bit more certainty as much as you can in mining, uh, versus these sort of reactionary trading sort of uh type of investment or or indeed momentum followers. So Alan, so in in that vein, with regards to um I mean, how, how do you feel? Because you, you, you spent a, a, a while chasing money down in the market when gold was, you know, not fashionable. Um, you also were beneficiary of when it came back in, in 2020, say, so like I say 10 times, 10 times, um, gains there. D- do you get slightly frustrated when you sort of see these sort of retread stories? Is it too much white noise? Does, does it distract from the real, uh, projects? What can we do about it?
2: Yeah, it's definitely a bit discouraging, Matt. Particularly when you're knocking out the kind of draw results every week that we've been knocking out. And as I said at the outset, you know we've made five discoveries in the last eighteen months on our project. That's in on top of the two existing deposits, which are also growing at quite a clip. Uh, we got five rigs turning. So when the market is sentiment is negative, it's hugely frustrating. The share price will go sideways. It won't react even though you're drilling you know, 20, 30, 40 meters at 5, 6 gram type of material. So I think, I think investors, what they need to bear in mind is when the gold price jumps up, there's always a time lag between, and there's a cascade from the gold price going up and then the majors moving up, then the mid-tier in, and, the, and the junior producers, and finally, the exploration companies move up. And the exploration companies, even though they're higher risk, they're always last to move, and they always make the biggest jump, right? And you haven't seen the junior explorers move yet. I mean, most junior explorers are still trading despite this crisis, this geopolitical crisis, despite the the, the outlook here that we're all pretty much agreed on, and the outlook for gold and the outlook the gl- outlook for the global economy. The valuation of small little junior companies like ours have not moved. They barely move. We stick the median. If you can believe it, the median value for gold in the ground uh, on resource median value is about still about only 50 U.S. dollars an ounce. And as you said, gold just hit 2000, 2,000 U.S. dollars an ounce. That's how nutty, crazy the value disconnect is. What does that mean? A massive opportunity. Why? Because the juniors haven't reacted yet, and when they do, it's not a sort of a slow thing that happens over months. it happens over days. And then you're going to wish that you'd, you'd, you'd invested in quality, quality companies. So, um, you know, I, it's going to happen. But quite, I just don't know when, but it will happen. There'll be a value adjustment with, uh, with companies like ours, and it'll be a, a significant one.
0: Okay, so that's quality companies. So, what's the difference between a, a quality company and the rest? Because I, I need actionable advice exactly. from you guys. So, what am I looking for, Anne? Oh,
2: can I have a crack at that? I know, I know I just answered the last question, but look, quality companies. If you're an investor looking to invest in this space, be it you know a, you know a junior miner or a development company like Danny and and, and Kevin, a little bit more advanced than us or advanced explorer than us, look, your key criteria here, guys, are management. Are management invested in their company? Are they big shareholders? How much cash have they put in? What kind of salaries do they take? You know, what other shareholders have they got in? Have they got quality? Uh, have they done this before as a management team? Do they know how to get a deal done? Have they got Have they made money for their shareholders? What's the asset like? Are there ounces in the ground or is this just a story? If there are ounces in the ground, how how close is it to production? How big could it be? Has it got potential to go up double, triple? Has it got potential to be ten times bigger than the existing resources? What's the jurisdiction? Um, you know um, those kind of things are are really key things, but I think, I think we'd probably all agree that the key thing is management. If management are heavily invested and have got a track record, then they're going to make that company a success. So uh, anyway, that's yeah, I, my I,
3: view. I, 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 yeah, I, I want to pick up on that as well, Matt, if you don't mind. I mean, I, I fully agree. I think there are so many rats and mice out there and and many of them are are well marketed and and um, you know, drop a few names, but they really don't have a lot of tangible stuff behind them. Management is absolutely critical. If you if you intend to take a project through to construction and operation, you better have a team that's done it before in in those places. Um, in terms of of the technical side, you have to be able to to defend that. And I think with African Gold Group, one of the things we've really focused on very hard over the last couple of years that I've been involved is making sure that we can defend that. So if I say we've got 3.2 million ounces of, of uh, resource in the ground and 1.25 million ounces of reserve, I'd better be able to defend that, um, which, which we can. And I fully agree with, with Alan as well. You know, what, what is the upside? So are you investing in, in a company that has really hit its maximum? Is there no more in the ground that you're going to find? Um, is this a 10-year mine life or is it a 20 or 30-year mine life? And I think, you know, I'm sitting here, I guess, as one of the minnows amongst the three of us, but we're sitting at with, with, a, with a resource in the ground of, of $9 an ounce. We're sitting with a reserve in the ground of $20 an ounce. So even if you're looking at $50 an ounce, we're half that value at the moment and we're fully permitted and we're ready to go. So yes, I think there's a lot of frustration from the juniors. I tend to agree with Alan that we, we, we will lag the market because the immediate producers, the big boys will, will obviously take their profits very quickly on this high gold price. We lag behind that. Um, but I think management and the fundamentals behind the project, in my opinion, are absolutely critical for investors in making sure that if you're going to put a dollar into this company, it can be defended that there is the gold in the ground, it's a great project and, and, and it, will, it will move. And I think that's what I've always advocated um, and I've spent a lot of time in the last couple of years really focusing on the management and the technical side to make sure that we have what we say we have. Danny,
0: yours is an interesting case, though. You've kind of come into um, a a, a company where you've had to kind of clean up what went before, which you've done, all moved, reduced costs across the board. You've got a a strong asset, and I believe all three of you have strong fundamentals. They they, they are projects that are investable on a fundamentals basis. And for me, that makes me feel a little bit safer about my investing uh, thesis going forward. But, is it a case that maybe sometimes, Danny, if you can't beat them, you've got to join them, and perhaps the, this whole momentum play can—you know—you you need to change the narrative. You need to change the conversation in market, you know. And, and how do you, how do you feel ethically if you were to do that?
3: Well, I, I think I'd feel a little little bit better now because I can defend the technical and the and the and the track record in terms of management that's done it before. Um, whether whether I'm great at this sort of marketing game of really getting my, my company up there in front of investors, I, I I guess maybe we've all got room for improvement there. Um but you know, I, I think the other thing, Matt, that is interesting, and you know, let, let, let's be honest. I mean, if six six to twelve months ago, if, if you mentioned that you had a project in Mali, everybody would, everybody would roll their eyes and go, Oh, you know, you're in the worst country in West Africa. Well, you know, Mali has its challenges and has had its challenges, but but so have many other West African countries. And really, when you look at Africa right now, it's not in the spotlight anymore because everybody's focusing across to sort of Eastern Europe and there's been some pretty negative news coming out of countries in South America, thankfully not Brazil, but certainly um, Venezuela and um, um, Chile and Peru. So Africa suddenly become quite, quite interesting again. And we have seen a, a huge pickup in interest in discussions that we're having um, around raising the finance to build this project, which six months ago, we, we, we were struggling to get a meeting. And now all of a sudden, we're, you know, people are falling over themselves to speak to us. So I think there's a shift. I think Africa is actually probably one of the safe havens these days in terms of being a long way away from what's happening in, in, in Eastern Europe and, and probably the, the, the least affected by it. Because if you have a look at the UN vote recently, a number of countries abstained. They didn't want to get involved. It tends to be an African thing. And I think that you're going to see a, a big pickup in Africa in investment in some of these projects and, and certainly hopefully our project, but also, um, you know, Mali over the past few years has, has, has maintained its position as the third largest Gold producer in Africa and with a very stable, stable mining code and a, and a very stable output. So I think we're seeing a, 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 a shift. I think we're seeing a lot more interest in, in projects in, in, in parts of West Africa that maybe tw- six to 12 months ago were not, was not, were not as interesting. And um, yeah, I think, I think we're sort of hitting this at the right time from the position that we're in, in terms of going out to raise the money to build this
1: thing. I'd like to just step back to the question before, Matt, if you don't mind. Um, I was listening to Alan and Danny uh, agreeing with each other that uh, definitely management is key, and absolutely management is key, uh, I don't think you will have anybody on this call that will dispute that. And if you do on another call, you shouldn't be having them on. Management is key in moving things forward. You can have uh, a decent project that uh, that poor management can fumble, um, uh, but you can have very good management that makes a decent project look really good and work out really well. And the fundamentals behind it are extremely important, as Danny said, and also jurisdiction. So when I was listening to Alan and Danny, I was thinking about ourselves and I was thinking, okay. We ticked every box that was mentioned. Uh, Are there ounces in the ground? Yeah, 3.1 million. Are there reserves? Yeah, 1.1 million. Is it is the grade good? Yes, fantastic. What's the jurisdiction? Eastern Canada. Um, Has management done this before? Yeah, about seven times. I've been involved in seven builds. Um, We've done this, and you know, when I joined uh, almost three years ago, we had 1.3 million ounces and a 30 million market cap. We now have 120 million market cap. 3.1 million ounces, of which 1.1 million are reserves. So, you know, the value of our feasibility is showing a $330 million uh, value discounted at 5%. That's just for our open pits. We feel the same is going to happen, uh, another 300 or so million value for underground, as the PEA suggested. uh, So we can see us going up 400% again um, in in a regularized gold environment, but with gold. Uh, The bull market that we're seeing now and the volatility that we're seeing now, Alan, you know, hit it right on the head with this delay in juniors because we are last and we will, all three companies here that you're talking to will go up significantly in value. And I, like Alan, don't know when, but it will happen. And because I think that way, I have put my entire salary, my bonus, and more back into the company, buying along shareholders. I'm not a founder. And I've built my position up in the one company that I truly believe in and trust management, and that's my own. Um, So I think, you know, with that said, I think all three companies here are going to do extremely well, Um, but it will take time. And then it will be like Alan said, it'll go up sharply. I'm Canadian. I'll say it'll go up like a hockey stick. So, you know, this really sharp rise and everybody will say, why didn't you tell me about your company? I missed it. Uh, Well, we've been telling you for three years. You just don't listen in in the hard times. So, people need to get in and own some of these juniors that have quality management and proper fundamentals.
0: Here's here's a question for you with regard to funding for you guys, right? Where some companies have been extremely creative. We've heard some fantastically creative scenarios about how they. you know, stop dilution for their shareholders. You know, retail love to hear when management can find a new funky way of, of doing that. Do you think with with gold prices moving like they are, that's only going to be available to uh, developers, or do you think that juniors too will be ultimately be the beneficiaries of some of this cheaper, less dilutive capital? Maybe Alan, do you want to pick that up?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think. Uh, look, I mean. Yeah, there will be more financing alternatives as the appetite, the investor appetite, picks up for junior companies. There will be so there'll be more royalty companies that want to do deals. There'll be more people offering debt. I personally, I think if you've got no revenues, it's it's a it's almost suicide to take on any debt. Um, but the cost of capital is going to get cheaper because share prices are going up. So instead of raising money at fifty cents, you know, we we're, we may be raising, like Kevin said, money at a dollar, two dollars. So the dilution is going to Going to decrease. I mean, it is something that is is very, very foremost in all of our minds. I think is is you know when we need to raise money, at what kind of cost, how much dilution we're going to suffer. And I think if you're the largest shareholder in your company, like I am, and you have got one point seven million dollars of your own money at stake, which I do, that's how much I've put into this company so far. And so, you know, you're aligned with your shareholders and it looms very large, Matt. But, but I do think there, and there are always people coming out with new ideas of, of financing the company. Personally, I run a mile if I, get, if, I, if I start to see something which is a bit hokey, uh, and we all have. There's all people, you know, sort of strange, odd variants about how you can minimize your dilution to your company because that is the trick. You know, you want to be raising as much money as you can at, at high prices. So we're all very cognizant of what's going on in the on in the marketplace here. But personally, some of these sort of like uh, uh, unusual forms of financing, I, st- I I steer well away from.
1: I think traditional debt in these things uh, sometimes are required for those dilution purposes. I mean, I'm not talking about you know streaming your only revenue product or or putting royalties or anything like that, but traditional debt, if you've got it, are linked to a number of things in a project. One of them is the delta, but one of them is the jurisdiction. And we have been blessed with finding a high-grade deposit in Eastern Canada in a great jurisdiction. And that takes a few points off the cost of capital. So there, you know, and also we're very, very conscious of dilution, so much so that um, we've been operating and selling between 15, 000, uh, 15 and 20,000 ounces of gold for the last 10 years uh, out of Newfoundland from a small operation uh, that people have said, you know, um, it's, it's little of your value and takes a lot of management time. But we've leveraged that uh, and changed the story from being just this small producer to having a cash engine that is non dilutive to the company to advance Goldberg to where it's at. We have been to the market twice for hard dollars in 10 years. And we've moved Goldbro forward to three million ounces and a feasibility study without issuing shares. So um, we're conscious of dilution, but at some point, there's a mix between equity and debt. Uh, I would prefer higher equity than debt. I think I'm like Alan, and I don't think there's many of us out there, to be quite honest. I think a lot of people like these funky deals, but I would rather have a very simple deal that isn't handcuffing the project moving forward. And uh, I think being in a proper uh, jurisdiction, and by the way, I worked in West Africa for years and years, and I think it's one of the best places in the world to work. Sometimes perceptions nine tenths of the law, um, and people perceive it as being difficult. When uh, Mali is is, uh, I love Mali's excellent place to work.
0: Well, well, Danny, well yeah, then, and, and just and that's just, a nice, com- well, nice compliment, well, my- Danny. Um, can can I-, well, no, I? I
3: appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> I
0: agree. <laughs> well, let me ask the question for you, for you, Danny, because you know um, the guy, The guys have talked about their, their um, preferences. For you, though, it's it's, well, it's a strange situation. You, you know, you're a sort of thirty million dollar uh, sub thirty million dollar company with a DFS with a lot of gold in the ground at these prices. You absolutely can't afford to go the equity route without diluting the heck out of uh, all the shareholders. So you've got to look at alternative financing, don't you?
3: Yeah. So maybe this this split, that Matt. I mean, I think for for money to explore and to keep the lights on, I absolutely agree that these very strange types of financings, like you know, convertibles and and even the royalty streams, at an early stage, are not the best way to go. Um, it's always preferable to, to to not dilute your equity holders at a lower price. Um, so what we've obviously done over the last year or so is cut massive amounts out of our costs to keep ourselves very lean and mean. Um, that that really sort of inhibits um, you know a cash strain on the company and it allows us to raise very little um, to keep ourselves going. Um, but let's talk about the main financing. I think you know there's no doubt about the fact that the main financing we will, ultimately have a split of of debt and equity. Um, These things are always going to be done in parallel because the the, the debt guys don't want to do anything unless the equity guys are on board. The equity guys clearly right now are not going to get, you know, completely diluted out of this thing. So these discussions are happening in parallel. Um, But but as I've said, I think we've had a a situation, especially with some of the African banks who have not really financed much in the last couple of years because of COVID and because of sort of tightening their net and and just keeping their heads down and seeing what's going to happen. So prior to what what happened two weeks ago in in Ukraine, um, we were seeing already quite a lot of activity from a lot of the traditional banks that finance African projects coming back online. And even though in the last two weeks it's been pretty volatile and no one really knows what's happening, those discussions have carried on. So I'm, I think that there will be, I think our best mix of, of, of financing to raise the money to build this project will be probably 60-40 debt equity or 70-30 debt equity, very vanilla debt in the sense that it's mostly coming from a, a sort of a large banking institution, not too much mezzanine or, or, or strange stuff that can happen, um, With a, and definitely, as, as Alan said, a much lower cost of capital than probably would have happened two years ago. Um, and then with the equity stream coming along and backing that up. And I, and I think that that re rate happens very, very typically in, in companies of our size when you start to get the first chunks of financing approved. You know, a company at our market cap with a fantastic project, which it is in a jurisdiction that we're very comfortable with, and a, and a great project with lots of ounces in the ground. The simple question that everybody's asking is, okay, great. So, how are you going to raise the 180 million that you need to build this thing? And that's the sort of that's that's what's depressing our our share price right now. And I think what we need to do is get a couple of wins on the board, which I think we will do this year. Um, You know, pending that the world doesn't sort of um, dissolve. And um, and then I think we we'll come out of this looking pretty strong in in the second half of 2022.
2: Let me come back to you in a couple of minutes. Yes. Okay. Can I just qualify my comments? So I think uh, Danny and Kevin are absolutely right. And if you're an investor watching this, you should be debt is okay if you've got a project which is at feasibility is at the build stage. It's not okay if you're considering looking at a company that's exploring and still drilling, adding ounces. Don't invest in a company that's taking debt on because that company is too far off production. There's no certainty of production, so you know uh, just bear that in mind. It really does depend, fine, different, fine, you know, on on where you're at with your the stage of your project.
0: We're, we're, we're worth clearing up. I mean, Danny. So I want to come back to something you said because I, I, I want to learn from this session. Okay, I'm always learning. Um, is you you said that you would be adverse to converts or NSRs at this stage, or you know, or in the position that your company finds you? in. Explain why. So if I come across a situation like this, at least I've got some other factors to think about before I make a decision.
3: Well, I think. I, I, well, let me qualify. I, I think that it, an NSR or, or some, some form of stream will, will will potentially form part of a financing package. Um, but, you know, there are so many royalty companies out there right now that will offer equity and streams for exploration companies. And it really goes back to what Alan is saying, where effectively you're lumbering yourself with, with debt, with no sort of runway through to when revenues are going to come in. And... The worst thing you can do with debt is to have debt, not knowing when when that revenue is going to come in, because at some stage someone's going to call for that debt
1: back. Danny, I think also with certain, I think also with certain forms of these of these financing packages, uh, they come with with basically the box around your upside as well, and that you never want to give, you never want to give away your upside at this stage of the game.
3: It's almost it's almost always linked to upside, and and that that is what the risk that they're taking. I mean, if you think you've got a twenty year mine life, and you're you're saying you've got a ten or a fifteen, you lumbered for twenty years. So I think you're right. So so yeah, look, I'm at, I think you know it, it, it could form a part of it. Um, and the nice thing about the royalty side right now is there are so many royalty companies that the competition out there is pretty amazing. I mean, you're seeing some really. Innovative sort of structures that that could be of interest that are very different to the what shall I call it, the, the typical old fashioned royalty companies.
1: The competition has really increased, and that forms um, some some new ways of thinking from their end. Because you know, I, I spent two years of my life uh, um, a certain lifetime ago trying to get rid of a stream that was handcuffing the project, um, but. We're going to keep an open mind. We're smart enough to hire a financial advisor to go into this debt equity um, or project finance discussions and do it right and keep keep our minds open to all ideas and really evaluate them because the time to get permits is always longer than shareholders want, but that gives you the time to get the proper finance package
3: together. Actually, I think, I think Kevin, you hit the nail on the head there. and Matt, this is maybe something that we certainly haven't discussed uh, in the last couple of months, but what I think we've realized is that there are expert companies out there that can structure the, 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 the financing much better than we can. Uh, you know, we're, we're operators, we build things, we operate things, we build teams. And I think that what you're going to see with African Gold Group over the next couple of months is a much more structured approach to this um, from people that have done it many, many times before. Um, so effectively what we're doing is, is we're bringing an extension of our team on that are experts in raising the money that we, we, we require to, to move into the next phase of our, of our life cycle and I think you know maybe it's taken a little bit of time to realize that but I think that in reality the cost of doing that versus the rewards are are significantly um, lower and, and and you know from us if you <laughs> if you're looking at you know PNAV at 0.11 I think we are at the moment if you're looking at you know well like I've mentioned before the resources in the ground and the reserves in the ground, there's only one way that we can go and that's up. So the quicker we can get a re-rate based upon securing the financing that will allow us to build this thing, the better it's going to be for all of our shareholders. And, and like Alan and Kevin, there's, I've put a lot of money, my money back into this in, in, in stock. I'm also not a founder of this, so I came in quite late in the process, um, but built up a reasonable shareholding because I, I really do believe in this company.
0: Well, look, gentlemen, I think we'd better wrap it up. And Danny, I'd say you'd better follow your own advice um, with, with regards to who you choose for the, to get help with the financing. It's, it's all about the management team and their track record. Um, gentlemen, look, thank you very much uh, for your time today. It's kind of uh, given us kind of food for thought uh, about maybe how we should think about investing in, in companies. So, Kevin Bullock uh, of Anaconda Mining, Alan Carter of Cabral Gold, and Danny Callow of African Gold Group. I thank you very
2: much. We'll see you soon.
1: Thank you. Thank you, thanks Matt. It's a chat. Thanks, gents.